John 17 this morning. Gospel according to John, chapter 17. We're going to read two verses. Verse 4 and verse 5. Where the Lord Jesus Christ in His high priestly prayer has said to His Father, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. Now, O Father, glorify Thou Me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee, before the world was. Again, just as a matter of review, as we take step by step through this, uh, this prayer in John chapter 17, I want us to keep in mind that the time frame of this is just prior to the cross at Calvary. Previous to the time of this prayer, our Lord Jesus Christ has spent time instructing His disciples concerning the the trueness, the effects of true Christianity in their life. He has spent time praying with them and He has spent time praying for them. This prayer that's recorded here in John 17 is not the prayer that He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've already shown you that. Chapter 18 opens up with them going into the Garden of Gethsemane. It begins with our Lord's desire that the Father glorify His Son in order that the Son may glorify the Father which is in heaven. That God would glorify the Son in every situation relating to Calvary and all the events afterwards. The Lord's request that He be glorified so that He might glorify His Father is being revealed in the statements that are made after that request. It begins with the fact that He has power over all flesh. God glorify Your Son in the fact that He has power over all flesh. God glorify Your Son in the fact that salvation is in His hand to give it. God glorify Your Son because I finished the work that You have given Me to go uh, to, to do. And over and over... He makes statements until we come uh, into a later part of this prayer. This morning, we hear our Lord once again confirming His commitment to glorify His Father by what He has done and what He will do. John 17 verse 4 opens up with the statements, I have glorified Thee on the earth. And the very next statement is, I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. Let's look first at I have glorified thee on the earth. The phrase on the earth becomes important. I have glorified thee on the earth. First, let's step back from that statement and look at what the Scriptures teach concerning what God does on the earth. The truth of the Scripture is that everything God has done to bring the earth and the universe into existence and everything God does on the earth actually brings Him glory. In Psalm 19, verse 1, Psalm 19, verse 1, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his or showeth his handiwork. So God's creation brings glory to God. Everything about the heavens and the universe brings glory to God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 confirms this. The Old Testament makes a statement. Confirmed in the New Testament. Revelation 4 verse 11. uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. 
Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You are worthy to receive glory because you have created all things. Not only has God created all things, and all things that God has created brings Him glory, but God governs everything that is on the earth. That's called providence. Providence, children, this big word that you hear me saying sometimes means that God is in control. That God is governor over all things. He rules over all things. This truth is seen in the Old Testament and in the New. In the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 and 12, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 and 12, we read, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is Thine. Belongs to You. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And Thou art exalted as head above all. Verse 12, Both riches and honor come of Thee, and Thou reignest over all. You rule over all of the universe. And in Thy hand is power and might, and in Thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. This prayer uh, in the Old Testament is an expression that everything belongs to God and everything is under God's control. It is in His power to make someone great. It is in His power to make someone rich. It is in His power to control all of the universe. That's called providence. He rules over all. He reigns over all things. This is confirmed in the New Testament. Again, the book of the Revelation. This chime, chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 17. And we'll read the first, verse, uh, first words of verse 18. In Revelation, chapter 11, verse 17, we read, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because, why are we thanking you? You that was and is and shall be. You who inhabits eternity from beginning to end. Why are we thanking you? Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. You have taken to yourself your power and you rule over all. Notice the words in verse 18, the first words. And the nations were angry. And the nations were angry. What are they angry at? They're angry because God's in control. They want to be in control. They want the power. They want the authority. They want to rule over the people. They want to make rich who they want to make rich and make poor who they want to make poor. They want to rule it all. And Jesus Christ said, that belongs to me. And they were angry. Now, they've been angry a long time. And they're going to remain angry. And they're going to do their very best to try to overthrow 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the end, the nations will bow the knee and confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of creation brings glory to God. All of God's ruling of the nations and of the universe brings glory to God. But, the thing that brings the most glory to God, the one that brings the most glory to God, was the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who brought the most glory to God on the earth, brought His Father a greater glory than all of creation, brought His Father a greater glory than His being ruler over all of the universe, was the Lord Jesus Christ. I have glorified I have glorified Thee on the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ glorified the Father on the earth more than creation could glorify Him. More than providence can glorify Him. More than the saints can glorify Him. And we seek to do so in our lives. But He brought a glory to the Father that excels all the glory of all the rest that seek to glorify God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ glorified the Father in His person by His very existence. By His very existence, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man in one undivided person, by His very person, brought glory to the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 confirms this for us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 Paul is writing as he introduces Jesus Christ to those Jews to whom he is writing and says in verse 3 speaking of Jesus Christ who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had purged, when He by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus Christ in His person brings a brightness of the glory of God. An expression of the glory of God. And all that He has done also does the same thing. This is confirmed for us in John's Gospel. John 1 and verse 14. And the Word, speaking of Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us. God dwelt among us. And the, the Scripture goes on in John 1.14 to say, And we beheld His glory. What glory? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw something of the glory of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed the glory of the Father to us. Revealed the glory of God's grace. Revealed the glory of truth to us. His person. By Himself, His very existence brought glory to God. But more than that, 
Jesus Christ glorified His Father in heaven. When men saw the works that Jesus Christ did, they glorified God. Which, by the way, they're supposed to do with us. When they see our works, they're to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 30 and 31, back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. Matthew 15, 30 reads, And great multitudes came to Him, came to the Lord Jesus Christ, having with them those that were lame, um, blind, dumb. Children, the word dumb there is that old English word that means not able to speak. Not dumb as in ignorant, or dumb as in not knowing things, but dumb, not able to speak. As it shows up in the next verse, it defines it for you. Dumb and maimed and many others and, and cast them down at Jesus' feet and He healed them. And verse 31 says, in this, in so much that the multitude wondered, they were filled with an amazement when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to behold and the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the God of Israel. God was glorified by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. They could not help themselves as they saw what He did on the earth, as they saw His good works. The expression from their heart and lips was God be praised for what He has done in the midst of us. I've often prayed and still pray and exhort you to pray that God would do such a work in our generation that men may be able to say, this is the hand of God. Pat Horner could not have done that. The pastors of the churches could not have accomplished that. The, the Christians on the face of the earth could not have done that. This is the hand of God. Even the lost can see when God does something that men can't do. May it be so in our generation. How I used to pray when I was pastor over in the south side of San Antonio and God did something. And men testified, this is God. This is what, look at what God is doing. And I prayed since gathered here in this place that God would do something similar. That men might be able to say, this is the hand of God. And the mouths of men who hate God would be shut. They would not be able to say a word against it because it testifies of itself. Only God can do such a thing as that. May it be so in our church. May it be so again before I die and go off to glory. May it be so in the generation in which we live when men and governments are coming against the people of God. May it be that God would rise up and bear His mighty arm so that men and women and children's mouths are shut and they stand there and hearts bubbling over. Look what God has done. And in His works, Jesus Christ glorified the Father in heaven with His holy life, with His words, with His works, everything He did brought glory to His Father while He was working on this earth. 
The very next statement defines uh, how it is that He has glorified His Father on the earth. He says, I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. Our Lord speaks as though all His work is already finished. We can look from John 17 back to His birth and come up to John 17 only hours away from Calvary and we can say of a truth, all that work is finished. But we know, if we know the Scriptures, that there is yet work to be done. There is a work that to be done at Calvary and yet He speaks as though it were already finished. Everything you gave me to do is done. How can he speak that way? When the greatest of all of his works is still before him. In a few hours he will go to Calvary. The greatest work that he will ever do on the earth is to take sin upon himself and the judgment of God upon it and set the people of God free to save them from their sins. How can he speak this way? The way that he speaks is in fact past tense. It is translated properly. I have finished. But this is God speaking. Not just man. In the mind and heart of God, everything predestinated is sure to come to pass. In the mind and heart of God, every thing purposed by God before the foundations of the world is certain and sure. Nothing will stop it. Nothing can hinder it, slow it down. At the appointed time, it will come to pass. And it is certain to happen. Nothing is going to stop it. So in that sense, our Lord can speak of His work as being already finished, even though in a few hours they will be actually finished. In a few hours, in fact, in a few hours and three days, when He raises from the grave, they will be actually finished. So in that sense, as the Scripture says in Ephesians 1 verse 11, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things together, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. All of it is being worked out so that it is viewed as being already finished. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writing to that church in Ephesus writes to them in language as though they were already seated in the heavens. And he's on earth with them as he writes his letter to them. He speaks of them as though they are already seated there. And indeed, in the mind and heart of our God, we are there with Him already. The fact that a few hours, a few days, a few months, and a few more years must pass will not hinder the fact that we are there and shall be there. This is expressed by Luke in Acts chapter 2 
in verse 23. Acts 2 in verse 23, Luke says, Him, actually he's quoting Peter as he's preaching, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. He was delivered, how? By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And yet you were the ones that took Him and slew Him on that tree. The same is found, same truth is found in Acts 4 when the church at Jerusalem is gathered together to pray after they have been forbidden to preach the gospel which the Lord has commanded them to preach. And in their prayer meeting, the church is praying And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27, they say, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. In verse 28, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They gathered together came into Gethsemane. They took Him out into the, into the judgment hall. They crucified Him at Calvary to accomplish the purposes of God. Without even knowing it, they're accomplishing the purposes of God. There is one act in all of the history of mankind that proves God rules the nations even when those nations are coming against the people of God. It is Calvary. When the nations, Jew and Gentile together, rose up and laid hands on the Son of God and took Him to Calvary and nailed Him there to get rid of this man, to get rid of His message. All they were doing was accomplishing the purpose of God in the salvation of sinners. And so he could open up his prayer in verse 4, I have finished... Because in his mind and heart, that which is before him, Gethsemane, Calvary, the burial in a new grave, the resurrection and the ascension, the salvation of God's people, all of it is finished as far as he's concerned. Nothing is going to stop it from happening. Our Lord came into this world to do the will of His Father. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, Then said I in the volume of the book, it is spoken of Me. He says, it is written of Me, not spoken of Me. I am come, He said, to do Thy will, O God. Hebrews 10 verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of Me. To do Thy will, O God. My purpose in coming was to do the will of God. My birth to my death, my burial to my ascension, all of it was to accomplish the will of God at the age of 12. You remember that account? His parents and a whole bunch of his family had gone to Jerusalem and and then they all left. And Mama thought he was over here, and Daddy thought he was over there. And three days later, they, where's, where is, uh, where is Jesus? And we'll go check with Aunt so and so, Uncle so and so might know where 
is Jesus. Nobody knows. What? Remember the account? They go back to Jerusalem. And they found him, and, 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 and mother is just beside herself. And, and dad is just beside himself. And why have you done this? You, you frightened us. You, why have you done this? Luke 2 and verse 49. And he said, and this was his response How is it that you have sought me? Wist ye not? Don't you understand that I must be about my Father's business? And they are dumbfounded. And Mary stores these things up in her heart. Who is this that God has put into our family? At the age of 30, He enters into His ministry. And the Scriptures teach, John 4 and verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish the work. My whole existence is about doing what I'm sent to do and finishing it. John 6 and 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And again in John 8 and verse 29, I do always those things that please Him. This is my purpose. This is why I've been born. This is why I have come into the world. A few hours after John chapter 17 verse 4, in John chapter 19 and verse 30, our Lord Jesus Christ from Calvary's cross will cry out victorious, It is finished. It is finished. I've done it. I've accomplished it. I've done what I was sent to do. John 19, verse 40. Can't wait to get there. This is what Daniel said would be accomplished. Daniel's prophecy fulfilled on that day in Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 24. Daniel had prophesied and said in Daniel 9 and verse 24. If you want to turn over there and see the wording here. In Daniel 9 and verse 24, Daniel is speaking and uh, he has been given some information here. Uh, Seventy weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city. To what end? For what purpose? What purpose was it all that these 70 weeks had been determined upon Israel and Jerusalem? Daniel 9 and verse 24. What? To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up, bring about the sum of all of the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is why I have come. This is what I am going to accomplish at Calvary's cross. I'm going to 
bring about a finish of the transgression. I'm going to make an end of sins. I'm going to, I'm going to bring about reconciliation for iniquity. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. The sum and substance of all the visions and prophecy are going to culminate right there at Calvary. I'm going to do the will of my Father. That's what I've been sent to do. And so in John 17.4, he can say, I finished. Because he sees it finished. Because he knows in the purpose of God it's finished. 600 years later, more than 600 years after Daniel spoke, spoke and wrote these words, Jesus Christ arrives at Calvary's cross to fulfill the Word of God. He had shown the world and His Father His faithfulness to always do the will of His Father in heaven. He had been born of a virgin. He had been circumcised the eighth day according to the law of God. He had lived as an obedient child with His parents. He had entered into the ministry preaching the truth of the Gospel. He had called sinners to repentance and to faith in Himself and to His work. He had declared Himself to be Israel's Messiah. He had come first to the Jews and had gathered them together to declare Himself to be the one who would be the prophet that Moses spoke of, the priest that was spoken of in the Old Testament, and the king that would rule over His people. Israel had rejected Him and the Gentiles had joined in their rejection of Him. But before the end of His ministry, He had left a church established that had Jew and Gentiles together in it. He had gathered His disciples taught them and given them instructions that when His death was finished and His burial and resurrection was finished and He was seated in glory, they were to go into the whole world and take that message that He was preaching to the whole world. He had taught them and equipped them and made them understand the truth. Now, hours away from Calvary, He prays in John 17, only hours away from the final work on his final work on the earth, he will gladly set himself and his face toward the cross. He will freely lay down his life for his sheep. He will knowingly bear the judgment of the Almighty against the sin of his people. He will be buried and lay in that grave for three days and three nights and he will rise after three days and three nights to prove that all that He has done, in all that He has done, He has overcome sin and Satan and death and the grave and He has finished what God sent Him to do. I have finished the work on the earth. He sees it complete. There was nothing in His mind and heart. Not one detail that will be missing. He has set Himself like a flint to Jerusalem. And it will be finished. Indeed, in His own mind, it is finished. He will ascend into heaven and take His place at the right hand of His Father where He will be glorified with the glory which He had before the Father sent Him. His work on earth will be finished. But <laughs> His work as mediator, will not be finished. In heaven, as our great high priest, He intercedes on our behalf 
Five, bleeding wounds in heaven plead mercy on behalf of sinners as generation and generation follows the death, His death on the cross until the culmination of time. He pleads and prays that God would save the people for whom He has died. Not one will be missing. Even 99 has been gathered. Though one is missing, they will not, it will not be finished until that last one is saved. He will plead and pray as our great high priest. And He will rule and reign as King over His kingdom. Not one enemy will be able to defeat His purposes on the earth. Every enemy put under His feet until the last enemy death is conquered. And eternal life turns into everlasting. I finished what You sent me to do on the earth. Glorify Your Son with the glory that with yourself and with the glory I had because I finished it. And now he says, verse 5, Oh, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. God will answer the prayer of His Son and glorify Him with the glory He had with the Father before the world began in several ways. First, He will glorify His Son with the glory of the Father. Glorify me with Thine own self. There's something here that's mysterious. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it, but... There is something here that sort of God gave us a peek behind the veil, but not the whole picture, all right? It is the glory of the Father in heaven, thine own self. It is the glory of the Father in heaven. It is the full glory of God. Not the glory bestowed upon the earth, which had to be muted and in some fashion restrained. Remember, when Moses said, Father, when he said, let me see your glory. And God said, you can't. No man can see my glory and live. Here, I'll hide you. And when I pass by, you'll see just a touch of it. Just the hem of the garment. Just a piece of it. And Moses was never the same from that moment that he saw just the touch of what God's glory was on that day. Jesus Christ is asking His Father to bestow upon Him the fullness of the radiance of God that no man has seen. This is not the glory of the perfection of God because Jesus Christ is already perfectly God. This is not the glory of the nature of God because Jesus Christ is already God, fully God. This is not the glory of all the perfections of God, holiness and love and almighty omniscience and, 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 and omnipresence and, and, and omnipotence 
and all the rest of the attributes of God. This is not the glory of that because He already had those things. This is the glorious radiance of God which no man has seen and no man can ever see until He is translated into heaven glorified so that He can behold God in all of His glory. In the flesh we can never see what Jesus Christ is asking here. That glorious radiance of God that even just an, if I can use the term an ounce or an inch would totally destroy us. That's what He's asking for. That's what He's asking for. But not only that, but also the fullness of the glory that I had before the world existed. There was in the Son of God a full glory of God that when He was on earth was not revealed. Couched or covered, somehow restrained, the full glory of God was also not revealed on the earth. Though at the Mount of Transfiguration, three of His servants saw some measure of it. Thought they were dead, fell down as dead men. John on the Isle of Patmos, when they saw a measure of it, fell down as a dead man. This fullness of glory was that fullness of all things that have to do with God, of the Godhead before the earth was made, before the world was made. The pre-existence of the Son of God is declared here. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before. The world was made. Let's take a glimpse of it over in Revelation chapter 5. It's a lengthy passage and I'm not going to stop and comment on much. But I want you to take a glimpse with me because the book of the Revelation sometimes pulls back the curtain of God and gives us a little bit of an understanding of some of this that is spoken of in the Scriptures. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 5, book of the Revelation, chapter 5, beginning in verse 9, heaven breaks out in a song because the Son of God opens the seals on the book of God so the book of God could be understood by the nations. Wow, what a glorious thing that was in heaven when God opens up the Word of God so the nations can understand it. Do you realize this is a closed book? Until God opens it. Read the ink on the white pages from Genesis 1 to the book of the Revelation as it says, Amen. And you will never understand one word until God opens it. And so, when there was found no one to open the book, heaven wept. And the Son of God stood and broke the seals and opened the book. Oh, there is so much in that. That is a blessing to us in our day. Heaven broke out in a song, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, John said, and I heard 
the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and of thousands saying with a loud voice, Thou art worthy, or worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. Now, that's a whole lot of reading. And I hope you, I hope you didn't get bored in the reading of it. And I'm going to exhort you to go back and read it again and again and again because heaven erupts with the praise of Jesus Christ being glorified as the Savior who is able to open the book so the nations can be saved. Glorify me with that glory. Give me that. So that angels and creatures worship me as it was in the beginning. But more than angels and creatures so that sinners out of every nation and tongue and people worship Me. So that all the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints pictured in the 24 elders, worship Me. Give Me that glory. And of course, it's due unto Him, is it not? That and more. For He has finished the work that God has given Him to do. I have finished the work. Glorify me with the glory of Thyself and the glory that I had before the world was because I have finished the work. I want to take a few minutes and just make some application for us. I don't want to take away from the Lord Jesus Christ in this prayer, but there is application here for us. There's something to learn for us. The first is God has given us a work to do too. Our Father in Heaven has given us something to do. If you're a Christian. In fact, even if you're not. But the focus is on Christians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I made reference to it this morning. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God, from the beginning, ordained certain works for your pastor. God, from the beginning, has ordained certain works for every Christian in this room. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I didn't run Timothy's course. I didn't run Peter's course. I didn't run 
Luke's course. I ran my course. My business. My duty. My work. What I need to do before God. I'm not looking at brother so-and-so to see what they're doing. They have their work to do. I'm not looking at sister so-and-so to see what she's doing. She has her work to do. I'm looking at what I have to do. God has given me something to do. And so I need to find out what that is. And some of it's written on the pages of this book. This is what you do. This do. This is how you pray. This is part of the work you're supposed to be about doing. Mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, children. This is part of the work you're supposed to be doing. I've given you some work to do. Do it. Do it. We too have our own work to do. We will never go to Calvary's cross. Jesus Christ did that. We cannot pay for the sins of others. Jesus Christ did that. But we have something to do. Mothers, keep this in mind when you're standing at that sink looking out that window washing dishes and the kids are playing under feet and you're stumbling over toys in the living room. <laughs> God's giving you some children to raise. That's a, a, a weighty, a mighty work. And it takes a lot of effort. Finish it. Finish it. That is our work. Our work is to do what we do to the glory of God. That's our work. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, your work is. You're a carpenter. You work on cars for a living. What do you do? Do it. Do it for God. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for the cause of God and truth. Work to bring glory to God in what we do. Our work is to acknowledge our God in all things, including our work. We live a life dependent upon Him. That shows that we are bringing glory to Him. We trust Him. We, we live a life to bring honor to Him in what we are doing. We trust Him and we want to honor Him with our work and in our work. Our work is to acknowledge Him. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. Our work is to worship Him and praise Him. To go about our work with a heart for our God. Singing. Some of you um, don't sing at work, alright? But sing. Worship. Sunday's about worship, but so is Monday through Saturday. God is in our life. God is in our home. God is before us. If you're driving a vehicle, whatever, worship Him. Honor Him. Our work is to worship Him. To praise Him. Our work is to dedicate our whole life to Him. And the focus of our life it cannot be solely of our dedication to God. cannot be solely on Sunday. It must include all seven days of the week. We are set aside for God, for the purpose of God on the earth, for the purpose of God and truth on the earth. God has called us out of darkness, called us to Himself and set us aside to this purpose. Our life is dedicated to Him. 
We've been bought with a price. We do not own ourselves anymore. Our work is dedicated to Him. Our work is to seek to be fruitful. Whatever that is. I want to deal with fruitfulness in good works. and Maybe not next week, but what does that mean? Have you ever looked at the word fruitful in the Scripture? Immediately when you say fruit or I say fruit, the first thing you think about is souls for Christ. And that is true. Second thing may be the fruit of the Spirit. And that also is true. You might want to go and look up. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in the Scriptures on that. Be fruitful. What does that mean? God will direct your steps into His vineyard. The whole existence, our whole existence in this world is on purpose and for a purpose. You are not an accident, children. I know in public school you're taught that evolution, that there's a series of accidents you came into being. That is not true. God has brought you in this world on purpose. And God has brought you for a purpose. And that includes everybody. Everybody. Particularly those who are Christians. But everybody. Cyrus. King of the Persians. What was his purpose? Well, part of his purpose was to defeat Babylon. But what what, what else was his purpose? He, named before he was even born, by God, was going to send Israel back into the land of Israel and give them a whole bunch of stuff to do to build up the temple and fix things. God says, I'm going to raise up a king and he's going to send you back. You see God ruling the kings of the world, the nations. You see men in high places hate God, worship idols. God just turns and fixes exactly what God's going to do in the nations of the world. That's the God we serve. That's the God we work for. Our work is to finish the work because God has given us something to do. Our whole existence should be focused on the fact that we are here on purpose. The world would rob you of that. God has brought you to life on purpose. What is it, Lord? He made you. He made us. Whatever we have in life, He gave us. Whatever intelligence or lack that I may have, He gave it to me. Use it. Whatever He gave us, He gave us that we might bring Him glory in using it. Is it money? Is it strength? Is it what is it? I don't know for you. I know for me. And I want to know more. And if we glorify Him with it, then He will glorify us. My goal and your goal needs that for whatever days are left in the end of my life, I come to the place where I can write a letter to my children. Paul writes that last, 2 Timothy is the last thing he ever wrote. And he, my son Timothy, I finished. 
finished. In fact, maybe on my headstone, I'll, I'm, I, he finished. I don't know. I want to finish, and I want to finish well. Do not underestimate your life, dear one. Child, children, do not underestimate your life. Do not think of yourself as nothing. You exist by divine purpose. Do not think, who am I among the billions on the earth? What makes me think that I'm worthy to be noticed What makes me think God has any purpose for my life? Because God has said so. Do not think, how can I be useful in a world when so many are stronger, wealthier, and smarter, and more powerful than me? When I look at the world and think of the world, and look at the men who have left their mark on the world, what makes me think that I have anything to offer. Don't think like that. God has put you on this earth on purpose. We are the highest, we people, of all created things. God has given us a body and a mind, and a soul. And a soul that in some measure can see and comprehend His creation. That much the Scriptures declare that you can, you, whether you're saved or not, if you're not saved, there's, God has given you the ability to comprehend something of Him in creation. Do not think of your place and work in God's universe as being little or insignificant. God may use the smallest thing to accomplish the greatest purpose. You have no idea what God might do. It makes little difference what work is assigned for us to do by God. Do what we do faithfully. Do it well, as well as we can, and leave the rest to God. He's working out His purposes in our life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Whatever you do, do it with your might. Put energy into it. Put zeal into it. Put thought into it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, written to Christians, says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we therefore have opportunity. Whatever opportunity develops in for, before us, let us do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith, of the local church. Whatever opportunity opens up before you, do good in it. Whatever it is. An unknown preacher preached to three women in a barn one day. A little boy was hiding up in the loft. God saved him. 
His name was Augustus Toplady. No one knows the name of the preacher or the name of the three women. An unknown deacon took the pulpit on a snowy Sunday morning. It was not a preacher, but took the text, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Took the text, look unto me. He couldn't open up the text, he couldn't preach, and so he just kept saying, look unto me. God has said, look unto me. Sinner, God has said, look unto me. Young teenage boy walked in out of the snow to get out of the cold, sat down. Heard the man who wasn't a preacher saying, look unto me. God said, look unto me. Jesus said, look look unto me and I will save you. That's what Jesus said. So look unto Him, sinner. Look unto Him. Not much of a message. Didn't open up, explain words. Just look unto me. Young boy walked out of the chapel that day. God saved him. His name was Charles Spurgeon. An unknown shoe salesman witnessed to a man that came into his shop to buy a pair of shoes. No one knows the name of the shoe salesman. God saved him. The man's name was D.L. Moody. Preached all over America and Europe. Two elderly women prayed God might bring someone to preach to them since their church building was closed. Nothing left but two women. Church closed up. So they prayed together. They also asked God in the midst of that if He might not bring revival to their poor, benighted village. Island. In a meeting in England or Wales, God touched the heart of a man named Duncan Campbell. Sent him over to the Hebrides. The two women said, we've been praying for you. They opened up the church building. He preached. God brought revival. Do what you can. Can't do much, preacher. Do what you can. Can't give much, preacher. Give what you can. Don't have a lot of time. Use what you have. Don't have a lot of gifts. Use what God's given you. We've got to work to finish individually. And we have a work to finish as a church. God has not brought this church into existence to send us on a fool's errand. And we are not a strong people or a wealthy people. And we are not busting out the walls. But God has given us something to do. Let's finish it. Our days are short. Let's finish. Let's pray.